Gotta love Boyer's Coffee, Colorado crafted since 1965, roasted at high altitude, and they have so many great flavors. I'm a big fan of uh, hazelnut, but they have the Rocky Mountain Thunder, they have French Vanilla, Aspen Gold, Denver Blend, the last few, uh, all five-star ratings across the board. Boyer'sCoffee.com is where you can go and get up to 20% off of uh, products right now. So go to BoyersCoffee.com and they have all of your favorite items and you can order it right there. It's delivered right to your home. Uh, If you're at the market, go see uh, the coffee section and you'll uh, find plenty of the products for Boyers Coffee right there in your favorite supermarket as well. Uh, But the easiest way, BoyersCoffee.com. Love telling you about steel products, S-T-I-H-L. Steel products are the absolute best out there if you have any project around the house, outside the house. Right now, you got to blow some snow. They have blowers. If you have some leaves left over in the corner, I had that recently, grab uh, one of the blowers and take care of that. Uh, if, if you're going to get ready for the spring with the steel products, they're perfect because you can trim up uh, trees and branches. If you have big branches, uh, grab a chainsaw made by steel. Where do you find them? At steeldealers.com, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. There's over 9,000 dealers around the country. And you can experience firsthand the real benefits of battery power. I love the battery stuff because, first of all, they're really long-lasting. You don't have to mess around with gasoline, but if that's your thing, they have those as well. They have electric products also. I'm a big fan, though, of the battery-powered steel products. Go find them again at steeldealers.com, S-T-I-H-L. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Colorado Avalanche analyst Peter McNabb sharing some old stories and talks about if the Avs are ready to take the next step. There is that old line in hockey. It's got to hurt a lot more to lose than it feels good to win. And that's just, you know, what? that's that next step. Are they that team where it hurts the most to lose? Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast at iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And leave a comment. It helps other people find the show. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Drew Goodman Podcast. It is podcast number 79. And right out of the gate, we'll go to our Boyer's Coffee. What's hot? Tell you what's hot. The Alabama Crimson Tide. They're hot. They just won their sixth national championship in 12 years. And if you're counting, that's now seven overall for Nick Saban. He had one at LSU. And I got it wrong. And I guess I can throw my middle son under the bus also. Zach, who joined me last week on the podcast, we both picked Ohio State. And I think we were kind of picking Ohio State, hoping they could hang in there, maybe pull the upset. Um... But you could tell on the opening couple of series, Alabama, as great as Ohio State is, as deep as their talent is, Alabama just had better football players across the board. And they had that you know, great senior class led by Devontae Smith and Max Jones, and they dominated. They scored 52 points. I don't know if we've ever seen offensive football at that level and as efficient and as explosive as Alabama was this year. And I know for many, you know, it's a, it's such a strange year. For all of us, it's been a strange year. 
But the college football season, of course, going into the game, Ohio State had only played seven games. It seemed like you know there were more teams in the South that were able to, to play week in and week out. But I don't think anybody would argue that the two best teams in college football competed for a national championship. And no one certainly will argue that the best team, head and shoulders above the rest, was once again the Alabama Crimson Tide. So that freshman class won a national championship in 2017, and then they win again in 2020. And how about Devontae Smith? In the middle of the game, I mean, at halftime, he had 12 catches for over 200 yards and three touchdowns. And he really didn't play in the second half because of that finger injury, and they didn't need him. But gosh knows what he would have got. He would have had 300-plus yards receiving. I don't think there's any question about that. But I tweeted out, I said, did they not watch, talking about the Buckeyes, did they not watch the Heisman show? I mean, he was running scot-free on a number of occasions through the secondary, and there were just other times they just could not keep up with him. Weren't fast enough, weren't quick enough. This kid is a freaky talent, and he's itty-bitty. I mean, I know he's listed at 6'1", but he weighs like 170 pounds. But he doesn't drop the football. Uh, He was a freak show in leading Alabama to the blowout win over Ohio State. The other thing that jumped out at me about the game is Ohio State couldn't tackle Najee Harris, couldn't tackle any running back, basically, for Alabama. I mean, they were getting two, three, four, five yards after contact, sometimes even more than that. And this is Ohio State. Ohio State, folks, they have great players. Not really good players. They have great players. And they were no match for that Alabama offense. The other thing it got me thinking about is that old adage that uh, we've all run out there as announcers, as followers of sport, as quote-unquote so-called experts. Defense wins championships, right? The old bromide, man. The old cliché. Well, guess what? The way college football is played now with these wide-open spread offenses, and especially when you get to the talent level of an Alabama, it's all about scoring points. And yeah, it's nice if you can play good defense, but I don't care how good your defense is, you're going to have to be able to score points with Alabama to beat them. And that's been true for the most part with Clemson. Ohio State did a marvelous job against them a little more than a week ago and knocking them off in the semifinal round of the college football playoff. But it's now about scoring points. It is completely about scoring points. And all of the rules favor the offenses. And Alabama has taken advantage. And, and Nick Saban has evolved. I mean, Nick Saban used to be, you know, kind of a pro style. They're going to line it up out of the eye and run an action, play action pass. They have that still, but they spread you out. And Steve Sarkeesian is now moving on to Texas as their head football coach. Uh, great play caller, uh, very creative thinker. And that'll continue because Nick Saban uh, has been innovative. Nick Saban adapts. Nick Saban is now the greatest college football coach of all time. He passed Bear Bryant. They both had six national championships. Nick Saban now has seven. That's our What Hot segment brought to you by Boyer's Coffee. 
going to tell you, we'll, we'll have Peter McNabb in a few moments, and I'm really excited for you all to, to hear Peter McNabb. He's one of the great storytellers. Nobody knows more hockey than Peter McNabb, and nobody knows the Avalanche any better than Peter McNabb. And the Avalanche are positioned to perhaps win a Stanley Cup. And we'll get into that with Peter uh, in a few moments. Want to talk baseball for a moment. Not a lot's gone on. We understand why uh, teams are really holding back for the most part, spending money. The most active team out there has been the Padres. We've discussed that. They have put themselves, speaking of positioning, into a uh, elite category. They're going to contend with the Dodgers in the West, and they're even beyond being able to contend with the Dodgers. They're... Uh, a team that has a legitimate chance with their talent to win a World Series. But baseball right now came out in the last uh, couple of days and said there will be a 162-game season. And Rob Manfred said to the clubs, plan on starting on time, which means spring training, folks, is about a month away. Pitchers and catchers will report. Uh, I think it also means initially, which is not a surprise, there probably aren't going to be, you know, a lot of fans in the stands, hopefully a little bit, and it'll grow from there. Uh, so much of that will depend on the municipality in which uh, the team plays and how quickly we can continue to get uh, the vaccine out to folks. Uh, but it's good news. There's going to be a full season. And it apparently is going to start on time. And I would not have guessed that uh, even a few days ago. I, I felt like it was, it was going to be delayed uh, because, you, again, you just needed to get the vaccine out there more. And it just it, it seemed prudent to uh, move it back a month. And, and I was fine with moving then the season back a, a month into the fall uh, to complete the postseason because there needs to be 162 games played. The players aren't going to go for anything uh, less than that. But stay stay tuned. You know what they haven't uh, announced yet? Will there be a DH? I mean, that's still holding up some decisions on, on clubs on how you formulate your roster. We still don't know that. So baseball remains in a fluid situation. There's a logjam of free agents that are sitting out there uh, as we tape this, uh, you know, midweek. DJ LeMahieu, George Springer, they're still out there. And uh, we'll see uh, if that picks up at all with the news that spring training is going to start on time. As I said, it's a fluid situation. We lost uh, an all-timer in the past week. Tommy Lasorda passed away at the age of 93. And when you think of the Dodgers, for all of their, you know, great players through the years, you know, for me, I would think of Sandy Koufax. I would think of the incomparable Vin Scully. I think many of you would probably, you know, start there on the field with a Koufax, um, you know, the, the moment in 88 with Kirk Gibson. But in that grouping, is Tommy Lasorda. I mean, Tommy Lasorda, as he said, bled Dodger blue. And he was always positioned after his managerial career, you know, sitting right outside their dugout in in the, you know, first row. Oftentimes, the last several years, Magic Johnson would be next to him. And, And Tommy was nothing if he wasn't charismatic. He loved not only the Dodgers, obviously, but he loved the game of baseball. One of the 
tremendous ambassadors for the game of baseball over more than 70 years in the game. Remember, he led Team USA to a gold medal, and that meant as much to him as the Dodger World Championship in 88. And I'm thrilled for Tommy that he got to see one more championship for the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, the last game he got to see were the Dodgers winning a world championship. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about Tommy Lasorda that, you know, will always be special for me. You know, I, I got to know him a little bit, not well. Um, but, you know, he would, you know, see you, and especially when the dot, when he was traveling a great deal and he'd be in Denver and, and uh, with the Dodgers and that sort of thing. And I remember one time my dad was at the ball game and the Rockies were playing the Dodgers and my, my dad's up in the booth and it's, you know, right after the game and, and Tommy was in the hallway outside the booth and I introduced my father uh, to, to Tommy Lasorda. And, my, you know, my dad grew up a, a giant fan in New York and then adopted the Mets when the Giants moved to San Francisco. But, you know, the Dodgers were a team he saw play quite a bit because he grew up in the Bronx and they were in Brooklyn. And so I introduced him to Tommy Lasorda and and Tommy, in the same breath that he was saying, you know, nice to meet you, he just heaped all this praise on on me, which I think he did it more out of, you know, nice to hear, obviously, everybody likes to, you know, hear good things about themselves, but it was more because he was talking to my dad and he wanted, as proud as my dad is of me, he wanted to let him know that, you know, your son's done well and your son is a good broadcaster and your son's a good man and that sort of thing. Even though I wasn't close with Tommy Lasorda, knew him just a very little bit, but um, I'll never forget that moment on a personal level. So, uh, you know, Tommy at 93 passes away and not only a legendary Dodger figure, but a legendary uh, baseball figure. And uh, I, I did feel we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about him during this podcast. Well, I'm really excited right now about the Colorado Avalanche. I was last year. Uh, unfortunately, they ran into injuries with their goaltenders in the second round of the playoffs. Uh, but this year, could be the year once again. Could the Avalanche win their third cup? They are positioned to do so. And right now, with all due respect to the Nuggets and the Broncos and the Rockies, but the Avalanche, I think, are the team that is in the best spot to be the last one standing in their respective sport. And I don't think you'd get a lot of pushback. So without further ado... Had an opportunity to catch up with a guy I've known for a long time and used to work with uh, back in the 90s and the first part of the 21st century when uh, I was still covering the avalanche, and that is the uh, the great Peter McNabb. Wonderful NHL career and a, a marvelous career as a broadcaster, and boy, does he have stories. So our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week, Peter McNabb of the Avalanche. Well, I'm so excited about this. I tell you what, the only person more excited about visiting with you again, because we got to, used to get to talk all the time, is my middle son, Peter, 
Zach, who was actually on the podcast with me last week. He's a college baseball player in, in the Midwest, yet he is the biggest Avalanche fan going. And he and he said, hey, Dad, when are you going to get you know Peter on? I said, I'm going to get him on right before the start of the season. So he was texting me earlier. He goes, you got to ask him this. You got to ask him that. I said, so, all right, we're, we're raring to go. As we as we chat on this podcast, it's the eve of the opening uh, of the season. And, you know, the Avalanche are as talented as most people know as anybody in hockey. How excited are you, man? Uh, it's it, There's so many layers to get through to, to get to the hockey layer, you know. Uh, it, it, you know, the, from last year, it's, it's what, when it actually starts, it'll be 10 months and two days since that final game against the Rangers. And the stuff that's gone on, they get, they went to the bubble. And I got to tell you, uh, the disappointment of that, because they were the best team in the West. There's, I, would they have beaten Tampa Bay? I don't know. Tampa Bay was, by then, by that fourth round, was rolling. But I didn't think anybody should have touched them. The goaltending injuries hurt them. But it, I think it's, you go back to 2001, where the Avalanche lost to Dallas in 2000, and the, just the, the energy they had coming to camp the next year with the mantra, we're getting home ice every single round. And it was one player after the other after the other. And it was fueled from the losses that they had taken the previous two years. And when Borky was there, and this year, it's been the, we're going to win that cup. We are going to win the cup. And then the next guy, we're going to win the cup. The next guy. So they are bound and determined. And you do not win a cup. You do not win it unless you totally, completely believe that you can win it. And I think that the team absolutely has that belief. They, they were unbelievably disappointed and rightfully so. It was, it was sitting right there. And this year, I, I think that they are going to make, Stay healthy, obviously, but they are going to do everything in their power to uh, to, to make a, a serious run at this whole thing. Joe, you, know, you always talk about, you kind of alluded to this, especially in hockey, but we say it in all sports, that there's a process to eventually winning a championship and you see it unfold. Was what occurred in the bubble last year necessary, the tremendous disappointment. And, and, it, and it, it, I know you can't always point to injuries, but you can't lose both goaltenders basically and, and win a cup. I'm sorry. That's, that's just not going to happen. Um, but it, was that a necessary step, Peter, with all of your experience uh, having played and watched and, and been a great analyst for all these years? Was, was that a necessary step in the evolution of this group of uh, Avs players, you think? You know, I don't think you ever want to use the word necessary because, you know, you never want to necessarily win to go on, I mean, lose to go on to win. But I'm always taken back, and it's one of the great hockey stories because it it includes one of the greatest players of all time. The uh, I think they had won, I think Edmonton, pardon me, the Islanders had won two or three Stanley Cups in a row. And now they're going to play Edmonton, and in the in the finals at Edmonton is this young, arrogant for the right reasons team with all of this skill and you know they're they play this it's the first game of the series and the islanders win but they're thinking oh we played great we did really well they're all dressed up they're all feeling good about themselves they're walking down the hallway in the old Nassau coliseum and the door swings open of one of the one of the rooms and there's the islanders cut ice bags getting worked on 
they had paid the price more than Edmonton. And Edmonton looked at that and said, whoa, we may think we're good. They know they're good, and they know what it takes to win. And that there's the key. You may not necessarily, because, you know, you can look back at the Avalanche, and you go, okay, they, they were a playoff club by any stretch, and then they lost into the Rangers before the year they moved here. So they didn't have a whole bunch of really bad stuff. But the players they brought in, the Claude Lemieux, the Mike King, the Patrick Waugh, knew, knew what it takes. And there is that knowledge, that moment, because every single team, you go back and you can look at every team that wins the Stanley Cup, there is a Waterloo moment. There's that moment uh, where you have to come up with a big game. When in 01, the greatest goaltending performance I have ever seen was period one, game six, Patrick Waugh versus Martin Brodeur. The score should have been 4 nothing. Jersey was up three games to two in this series. It should have been over. Patrick stoned him. Footer scores from 60 feet, and it's one nothing. They walk in between the sec- first and second going, what just happened? We're, we're ahead now. And boom, they walk off and they win. And, you know, you, there's going to be those moments you have to get through and you have to know you can do it and you have to believe you can do it. And they had those guys that could do it. And, and I think for the Avalanche, you know, yet, is it necessary? Well, now, now you've gotten to the point where you felt it, you know it, and now you've got to get through it. So, you you know, you ain't won it till you've done it. <laughs> and, right. and I think that that's for the avalanche is that next step. You can talk and, and say, oh, you know, it's, oh, we've been through all of this tough stuff. Well, yeah, fine, but you lost. You know, now the next step is right there, and there is no excuse because you know what it feels like, and there is that old line in hockey. It's got to hurt a lot more to lose than it feels good to win, and that's just – you know what? That's that next step. Are they that team where it hurts the most to lose? Well, that next step's going to be riveting for any for any team that hopes to you know for Tampa there there to repeat. Uh, you know for for the Avalanche certainly for the Blues who will open the season with in that this is this is a little bit more of a sprint. We were using that term last year during the baseball season, Peter. I know how big a baseball fan you are. It was 60 games instead of 162. This is 56 instead of 82. So it, it eliminates uh you know having a lull. You can't, you know, have a, a three-week lull and, and maybe recover. Number one. And the other thing is because of the pandemic you know, you have these temporary divisions. So the Avs are out West and you're going to play these two game sets and nobody knows this better than you do. Uh, To me, you're going to have everything ratcheted up because the shortness. And then guess what? You play one team one night and maybe it got a little chippy and you're playing them. It's almost like a a postseason series. You're playing them again in 48 hours. That's different, isn't it? It's, it will be a, a one-off. This will be the only time it ever happens. Please, dear, you know, heaven help us. But it is so interestingly unique because the Avalanche, just, just go back to last year, in their 82-game schedule, one time, once, they were supposed to play the same team in a back-to-back situation. And it happened, they played Chicago and Chicago, and they came home and played Chicago the next game or the next night. This year, there are three sets where you play – four consecutive games against the same team and 20 sets where you're playing back-to-back against that team. And it, it'll just never be done again. And, 
you know, I think the Avalanche, it's a fascinating division in that it is so top-heavy. It's its almost scary because St. Louis, two years ago, won the Cup. Uh, Vegas is now with Petrangelo and Leonard. I mean, they're, they're favored right there with the Avalanche. And they, they have, you've got the Avalanche. So you may have four, pardon me, three of the top five uh, teams in the National Hockey League fighting for – you know what you're fighting for, Drew? You're fighting to not finish second or third. You're fighting to finish first so you don't have to play St. Louis or Vegas in that first round. Because a really, really good team is going to be eliminated in that first round because, you know, you look at the five, you know, the, the other clubs inside of the division, you've got, had you only had 16 teams make the playoffs last year, the other five all would have missed the playoffs. So they're not really solid clubs. So you know what you got up top, and you're trying to figure out what you've got in the bottom five. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Now, the Avs didn't dip into free agency. They made two significant trades. Tell us about your reaction initially when they made those two moves and what you've seen so far in, in the quick run-up to the start of this season. Well, it, it, you can't. It, no one can say they've seen a lot because we might have been, not been allowed to watch any of practice until today. Mm-hmm. And it was there was a fascinating moment for me because uh, I, you know, I enjoy watching it and enjoy sort of finding out about the new players. For, with Saad, the gentleman coming over from Chicago. Now, here's a guy you know exactly what you're getting. You're getting Gabe Landeskog, yeah. and with two Stanley Cups, and you know. You can say that, and you go, he was on a team that won two Stanley Cups. Not only that, he was Jonathan Taves' left winger for those two Cups. So he was out there in key moments, big moments, those moments that win or lose hockey games. And that's the kind of player that they're bringing in. He is an in-the-corner, in-front-of-the-net type of player, and he's he's tough when he has to be. He's got He's got good enough hands. He'll score some big goals, but he represents that player just like Gabe, but he's got those two Stanley Cups, and you cannot get away from how important that is. When you come down to playing a big game, and when you know you can win, that's a big difference from hoping you can win. And he's been there when they know they can win. But the other guy, Caves, uh, I had not seen him play that. I had some friends of mine from back east say, Max, you're not going to believe this guy. And I said, the, Island, the only reason the Islanders got, had to let him go in a trade was that they had they could not pay him. They could not pay him the eventual $4 million that he got from the Avalanche. It was a magnificent trade for the Avalanche. But now the Avalanche, they've got Gerard, they've got McCarr, <laughs> they've got this kid, Bo Byram, who, if not this year, next year and the year after, it's, it's going to explode onto the scene. And I watched this tape today, and he was running the second power play with Gerard, and I went, oh, oh, my goodness. He's just a pure hockey player. Follows the play, makes the pass. Every pass was on tape. Every shot got through. I'm going, this is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, teams would die for him to be a 1-2. And he he's a 3-4-5 on this team. And that's the frightening part. If, Drew, you remember back to the 48-point season? Yeah. Oh, the defensive core of that group, nice guys. But it was horrific. Peter, I was just I was just going to allude to that in that this is amazing because I don't know if you could put together a better blue line now than the Avalanche have and and Bo Byron was the top prospect in in all of hockey, you know, 
he's 19 and he may not, you'll tell me what's going to happen with him going forward this year. But my point is a few years ago, their blue line was dreadful. Oh yeah. It was slow. It was old. You know, it it was just a a, transition, but then, you know, it's so interesting to watch how it started to to improve. It was the Duchesne deal where Gerard came over and from a Gerard, from the Duchesne trade, that's where Bo Byron comes from. And then you've got your own pick with McCarr. And, you know, really and truly, the first two picks by the New Jersey and by Philly were, were forwards, and they were good enough. But then Heskinen and McCarr were there, and I can remember I was standing with a friend of mine at the draft, and I said, who, who are the, you know, there's, the ads are taking one of these two guys, Heskinen or, or McCarr. Who do you, who do you hope falls to the avalanche via the ads? And he looked at this, and this guy, Knows. Mm-hmm. I mean, trust everything he said because I've known him forever. He said, Eskinen is phenomenal. He may be an all-star, but your guy is the biggest game changer, the biggest. He's the best player in this draft by a country mile. And I, wow. I, I said, are you sure? He said, I guarantee you. Now, he said, you can't go wrong with either one. And Heskin proved that last year. He was spectacular in the playoffs. But McCars got that something. That's special. That's something. And it, the only other defenseman that I've ever watched personally up close step onto the ice and have the same thing was Ray. When Ray stepped onto the ice in Boston, I was there. I was playing. He stepped onto the ice, and I was. We watched him the first practice, and I, I was. I, I looked at the guy to my right, and I go, "What's going on?" He said, well, he, "He's. He, I'll tell you right now, Maxie. He ain't Bobby, but it's the closest we're ever going to get. This is one practice into." His career, he was 19 years old, and you could see it. He had it. There's, a, there's that, that gift that certain players have, and he had it, and McCars got it. And, you know, because you go around the league now, and everybody you talk to, especially good hockey people that understand it's the same thing. There's that he, they know what he sees. What he sees is just above everybody else. He's, the game is just in front of him all the time. And it's it's so spectacular when you when you when you you bookend that, but the other freak of nature, McKinnon up front, you know, you're, you're looking at uh, not only are they good, they're really exciting to watch. You know, they it's not like you're going, okay, this is great, two one again, yeah, that's good for us. No, they're going, they're coming. They're in Coach Bender coaches and the defensemen jumping up into the play, and now you 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 know if. Bull Byron gets here. You may have Gerard on one, McCarr on the other, and Bull Byron on the third pair jumping up into the play. It'll be a nightmare. You don't have enough defensive players to right. stop all of them. It just doesn't, you know. And so I think that there's there's certainly an excitement, and it, it. But what a job the whole organization has done to retool a very difficult position to retool the you know the defense. More with Peter McNabb in a moment, but one of our longtime sponsors, in fact, from day one, Ideal Home Loans. If you're interested in saving money, and we all are, give Ideal Home Loans a call. Brett Ivinson's team can be reached at 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. They're going to listen. They have salary-based folks, so you're not going to have uh, you know crazy sales pitches 
you are going to get taken care of from the moment you reach out to them. I've sent them countless people over the years. And as you know, I've been a customer on several occasions as well. It's Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. They're going to save you money. Give them a call. Now more with Peter McNabb, the longtime television analyst on the Colorado Avalanche here in town. How many, how many teams over the last 20 years, 25 years, Peter, have you seen where you legitimately have a leading candidate for the Hart Trophy as the league's MVP and a, a, a potential leading candidate for the Norris Trophy as the best defenseman in hockey as the Rock, as, as I was going back, way back, as the Avalanche will with McCarr? Can you think of any? You know, I mean, Ray was probably too old to win the Norris the year that, you know, he was here. So right. uh, had he been here when he was younger, certainly they could have had Forsberg, Sackick, and Bork. Yeah. Uh, you know, that would have been an obvious one. But, you know, since Ray and, and that group with Blake left, they're really uh, – the, the cupboard went dry for defensemen. It is extremely rare. And now, that you know, it's it's changed because you have to go back to when the salary cap came in. Well, it's it's expensive to have the best defenseman and the best forward on your team. And that that takes up a lot of your cap space. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's and, and it's, let's face it, the Avalanche they got McKinnon number one overall and they made a great choice, obviously. But when McCarr falls to four, you know that you here you're living right. Yeah, the hockey gods are saying, okay, I want to see I want to see Colorado really be good. That's what they're saying. They're, you know, I want to see them uh, light it up. And, you know, so, and again, it, it's the, the great thing is they're not even close to being the only players on this club. But, you know, true, I was at practice today. And, you know, you, you've been away from a long time, and you, the last practice I saw was late July before they headed up to the, uh, the bubble in Edmonton. And so it's been a while, and you're just kind of – and I'll tell you – McKinnon steps onto the ice, and he starts doing stuff. And then everybody else comes on the ice, and everybody else starts doing stuff. And it's just, it's faster, it's quicker. The pace to what he does is just unreal. He's, he's unmatched as far as viewability. It's just, he's just flying around. And he's coming, now he's had seven years in the league. Now he knows how good he is. Now he's comfortable with how good he is. Now he's got the whole thing. He's physically right where he wants to be. Mentally, he's seen enough. He is going to take over this year uh, and for the next five years, maybe at least, uh, and really be uh, something that you're, you're frightened of to play against and you can't wait to, wait to watch. Do you know, I, I, I've had this conversation with you when we had the distinct pleasure of, of watching it on a night-in, night-out basis when when I was still involved with the the coverage of the of the Avalanche, and I will say this, I've said it before, and um, you know, there's been some great Rockies, as you know, from Helton and Walker, and currently Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado, and you know, going back to Elway with the Broncos, and you know, we can list great athletes we've all seen in town. Um, the the guy that I still find most 
enjoyable, probably my favorite all-time Colorado athlete, Peter Forsberg. Peter could kill a penalty, as you know, better than I would, by himself. So I mean, it was just ridiculous. This kid watching McKinnon, you don't need to know jack shit about hockey to go, that guy's really good, number 29, right? It's crazy. Yeah, and it took him a little while to hone it in. And, you know, I always, I will maintain that there was a night. And and I, because I was there, I was, I was watching. The Avalanche had started three seasons ago now, I guess, and maybe four seasons ago. They started, and Vegas was just coming into the league. So it's got to be now four years ago. And uh, the Avalanche go into uh, Vegas, and they get beat 7 nothing by this expansion club. And nobody knew how good Vegas was going to be. This is only the tenth game of the year, the ninth game of the year. Yeah. And I'm thinking, and, and I, if I'm not, I think I'm right. McKinnon had a goal and like seven assists the first ten games, and you know, it, it, nothing spectacular, just you know, good numbers. But he hadn't scored really, and I was interested uh-huh. to see. And his his numbers for the previous three, four years together weren't weren't weren't, weren't that great. But you saw this something and. I'm telling you, Drew, you can go back to that game, that moment, the next night against Chicago, and I was doing the game between the benches, and I'm used to a certain pace for these players, so when I see a guy get the puck, I know how fast he's going to come through, what to look around and see, try to, you know, whatever. And he went by me at a different pace, with a different, uh, just a different anger. Because he plays with anger. There's, there's just no, no, there's no getting around it. He plays with anger. Peter played with anger. Joe played with a, a dissect the situation and make the perfect play. But, mm-hmm. but, but, but he, and he went by me, and I went, oh my god, what was, what was, what was that? Was that a, what was that? Just a one-time thing. And then he comes back the other way, boom, boom. And from that point forward, it was a different hockey player. And I can remember. Listening to somebody ask him a question about because this this continued for a while this great play and he was going to become what he is now and somebody asked him you know uh, how's it feel to be you know what doing what you're doing and he had the greatest answer for you could see how it was locked up it's about time and I thought you know what a great thing I mean he could how tough must it have been that to know inside of him that he had this. And it was going to come out, but when the hell was it going to come out? And then all of a sudden, poof, and he just has, he, he just has taken off. And, you know, you can, I guess if you watch McDavid every game, you'd, you'd take him if you were there and not see McKinnon, but I can't see for the life of me how you would not take McKinnon as the number one player in the National Hockey League right now. Just with, just with the how he plays, uh, today's game, the speed. Is, Drew, uh, it's just in a, in a game that's gotten faster and faster and faster and faster over time. He's faster still. And- it's me- it's me- you know honestly, Peter. It's mesmerizing. It's mesmerizing. He doesn't have to have a number on his back. He could be wearing a you know a red jersey, no con- non contact jersey, and you know who he is. The mo- just his stride. You know, as soon as he touches the puck, it's just different. It's kind of like, I know how big a football fan you are. It's kind of like, you know, watching the national championship and, and the and the kid Smith, who's a Heisman Trophy winner. You have the best football players in college on the field for Ohio State. And this kid's playing in a different game. And that's what McKinnon is. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's funny. They 
coaches work on the other team, work so hard to get their number one defensive pair out there. But every once in a while, you know, the second pair is or the third defensive pair, and McKinnon's out there. And, you know, when we do the games between the benches, there is just this – you can't see it from above. You can't see it on TV. It's just, it's just not there. It's not possible. But you'll see McKinnon coming down, and you'll see the eyes of these defensemen who know they are in so much trouble. <laughs> All they're going to do is back up as fast as they can. I've, I've seen them run over, skating backwards, the goaltender, because they're just not going to get beat to the upside. You know? Yeah. The, the only thing, you'll just see them going, oh, my, just get me off the ice. Because the hockey players know one thing. They know when they're outmatched. You know, they know that this is going to be a long night if I have to go against this cloud all night long. And, but it's still that magnificent look. The, the eyes get like saucers, and it's like, what are you, coach, what am I doing out here? Get me yeah. off the Yeah, I don't, I don't belong. Right. You, you know, there's so many elements to having a, a Stanley Cup winner, and we we're so fortunate to have seen it on a couple of occasions uh, with the Avs going back. And we we touched on this guy, but Peter, I want you to expand on just how valuable well, the guy I'm about to mention is. And when I mentioned Peter Forsberg, and and there's so many reasons he was one of my favorite all time athletes. He, he's my Drew, he's all he's he's my favorite because of all the players that have ever played for the Avalanche, he had the one mind I. I you could never figure out what he was thinking on the ice ever, and I don't think he knew. It was just unique. No, I knew. Like, you know, one thing he was thinking. I always if somebody took a shot at him, Peter, he he would make a be. Forget what was going on with the puck or anything else. He would get instant retribution. <laughs> I used to love that. It, and, and it used to drive Mark Crawford crazy. One night against Chicago, he took a this guy takes a run at him. So Peter is going to take a run at this guy, and he just goes flying. Well, it's Bob Probert. <laughs> this may be the single toughest guy in the National Hockey League ever. And he yep. runs Probert. Probert looks at him, punches him in the head. Peter's helmet turns, so he's looking out the ear hole. And he gets to the bench, and he's hyperventilating. And, and Crow says, Peter, I'm not putting you out there if, you, if you're going to go after that guy. Next year, Peter's out there running after Probert. Now, if Probert ever dropped his love, Peter, Peter is not going to make – he's, no matter how tough he is, he's not surviving that. But his eyes, because, you know, he, when he lost it, when, when Peter lost control, it was, it was comical. He was running around just – just he didn't know where he was going. He was just going to run over anything. And, and you know, injuries and, and the feet, obviously – you know, robbed him, but but Peter, um, from a from a, a talent standpoint, there was a period again. I'll let you you know talk about it. He he was as good a player. He was the best player in the world when he was right. Oh, he he was it was phenomenal. Um, you know, and, and he the things he didn't care about were hilarious. He didn't care about defensive hockey. You know, somebody said one time he could have won the Selkie. And I'm going, oh, the Selkie goes to the best defensive player. Mm-hmm. Peter didn't care about that. He would get the puck. He controlled it all the time. So you thought he was great defensively. 
But, you know, every once in a while they'd throw him on the left side with, uh, with Joe, and Joe would say to him, well, listen, when you go back into the zone, do you want to go back and cover the center position? And Peter said, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, right. I, I'm, I'm fine. You know, I'll just, I, he, you know, all he wanted to do was get the puck and make plays and, you know, enjoy the game. He, and the thing that they had with the Sackick, and the Forsberg, the one-two punch. You can go back to Messier and Gretzky. You can go back to Lemieux and Francis. You can go, you know, all the great teams had that one-two punch down the middle, and they could not. It would be impossible for them to be more different as players. Impossible. Yeah. Joe Sackick, I think you'll understand this one. I always, it always made sense to me. It was like a quarterback. If you got five receivers out there, right, and Peyton Manning's under center. He takes, he takes back his whatever, however many steps they take. And right as he's about to release the ball, you freeze it. And you look downfield and you look at the five players that are, who is the one perfect place to pass to? Who's the one perfect person to move the, you know, pass the ball to? Who's the one? And you, you, you see it, you find it, and then you play it forward. And sure enough, that's where Peyton Manning is going. Yes. Joe Sackick did exactly the same thing on the ice. Whatever the right play was to make, he made it. Peter Forsberg, whatever the wrong play to make was, he didn't care. If that's what he was going to do, that's what he was going to do. And I can remember Claude Lemieux was a good friend coming over from Jersey and was going to play the right side with Peter. And he said to me, what am I going to do with, with, with this guy? I, I got no idea what he's doing. He's here. He's there. He's over there. And Chris Drury start. This is my one of my favorites. You Drury, you get a kick out of this. Chris Drury starts whenever he's speaking, and he's talking about great players he played with. He'll he'll talk about Peter Forsberg, and he talks about his rookie year playing with Peter. And they're in, they are in Vancouver, and Peter's in the corner with this big defenseman and Trevor Linden, two guys that weigh two twenty anyway, right? And, and Peter's fighting with them, so. Chris says, you know what, maybe I better get in there. So he goes into the corner. Peter looks up at him and goes, what are you doing in here? I got this. Get back out front. Said it to him. Said it to him. And as he's fighting for the puck, so Chris turns and, and skates back. And all of a sudden, there's the puck on his stick. And he shoots, and Oongo makes the save. He goes back to the bench, and, he's, and he said, I had to watch the screen to figure, how did he do that? How, how did he yeah. possibly beat off those two guys to get me the puck? And but those were the plays that he made that nobody else could make. It was it was amazing at certain times. Oh, you know, I Ray Bork. I asked Ray, you know, deep into his career playing here, you know, of all the players you've ever played against, you know, the Lindros and the Neelys and this is and that. Who's the strongest Peter Forsberg? <laughs> what? I said, Who's the strongest player you've ever played? Peter Forsberg. And I said, no, no, I don't mean like pound for pound because Peter is only two five, two eight. Right, right. He said no. Actually, he's the strongest ever, and I think that was probably one of those things. Another quick story, just about, and this is the one. Robbie, I think well, I want to say McLean. Uh, anyway, he's a trainer for the Avalanche. Great guy. He was an initial trainer, and I'm standing with him, and we're, we're watching a game from right down in the corner. And Drew, the, honest to goodness, this is what he said to me. Peter comes in behind the net and just power turns around the net. And Robbie goes, oh, God, I hate when he does that. And I'm like, what do you mean? 
oh, he's just going to, one day it's just, he's just going to fall into the corner. I go, why? You know, does he, what, his skate's not sharp enough? No. When he torques like that, he pops the rivets out of his skates. Are you kidding me? Nope. He said he has to go in and tighten them up after every, almost every period. And then you follow that and you understand why his ankle and his feet ended up being the demise of his career because something had to give eventually. He was just so strong. But can you imagine making that turn and the trainer looks at me and goes, I hate to watch because he could pop the rivets out of the skate. He would, he would put extra, he would put extra holes and extra rivets in and it didn't matter. Peter would just, it was, he was just a freak. Peter's awesome. We will have part two of our interview with Peter next week. Can't just have Peter McNabb for, for 20 minutes. Not going to work, man. Peter's going to fill up time. We could have done six hours. So part two will come next week. Y'all stay well, stay healthy, and uh, we'll chat again in seven days. You've been listening to the Drew Goodman Podcast. Subscribe at iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. And leave a comment that helps other people find the show. 